0: Right, I'm back at my second home at Woodbury House. I've got a very, very special guest <clears throat> that uh, I've been earmarking for some time, looking to get <laughs> you on board. You're the first, I think, first pro tennis player that's come onto the Stephen Sully study. So congratulations, nice. mate. Thank you. <laughs> what an honour. Yeah, thanks um, for Excuse the pun, but this uh conversation is gonna be ace, no yeah. doubt. <laughs> um right, where should we start? So, James Woods, um I obviously want to talk to you about your your career. Yeah. I want to talk about the the challenges that you know every business, every individual is going through, which is the the coronavirus yep. and lockdowns and recessions and stuff and how yep. it's affecting not just tennis as a whole, but your career and obviously how you're 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 sort of adjusting to it. Mm-hmm. And then more importantly, I think that the most the thing I really want to get out of this is, is the mindset of an athlete. Yep. Um, I think that's really, really important for the younger people to listen to because it will give them inspiration, whether that's going to follow tennis, be an athlete, or even just a business person, or just the best version they can be. So let's start from the top. Um, you're 33 years of age. I am. Um, you've been playing tennis basically your whole life? Pretty much, yeah, since I was <coughs> 8, 9 years old. Yeah. So what prompted you to get into tennis um my
1: dad played a little bit but nothing special played at a local club maybe once a week um throughout a period i obviously played football like everyone else did when you're growing up in school love playing football um decided to give tennis a go had a lesson with a coach said yeah you got good hand-eye coordination um and sort of went on from there and then it becomes a little bit of a choice after a while you're enjoying playing both sports but you need to pick one, and uh, and I went down the tennis route. So, um, are you born and bred in London? I am, yep. yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're about. I grew up in uh, Hendon <laughs> in North London,
0: um, and now I live in Central London, like in Camden. Okay, yep. and I, I always uh, find it quite interesting mm. with any of my guests, just to find out, like really about your background. So, like. How was your school life? How was your family life? What was your peer group like? You know, what kind of, what was your upbringing like, basically? Yeah, I mean, look, my mum and dad working class family. My dad's a <coughs> black cab driver. Um, my mum's a black cab driver. Yeah, and a partner. Yeah, nice. Yeah, my, yeah. Um, struggling at the moment. Yeah, it's tough the Bloody, times. bloody exactly. lockdown. There's no one around. So, yeah. um, my my mum
1: worked in school uh, as well, and yeah, just sort of normal, happy home, normal upbringing. Um, and
0: yeah just went from there really all right nice so um when you when you uh, was sort of thinking about becoming a tennis player did you ever imagine you'd become like pro and follow it as a career no not at the beginning I don't think anyone does when you first start you enjoy
1: it um obviously if you're good at it it, it, it helps um and makes it even more enjoyable um and I think I just sort of As time went on, started to play more and more. And as I say, then it came to a bit of a decision where you get to an age of 12, 13, 14, you need to really make a go of one or the other, Um, which way you're going to push. And and I went down the tennis route, as I say, and um, yeah, played a lot, trained every day, five, six days a week, three, four hours a day, um, Mm. sort of working on your craft um, as a kid and just hitting thousands and hundreds of thousands, millions of balls. Yeah, and just working on working on technique and
0: uh, and grinding away. Some of the um, athletes I've had on board, certainly in recent times, I've had uh, Liam Ridgewell, yep. uh, um footballer. Yep. I've had Ted Teesman on here, boxer. Yep. Um, thankfully, uh, I, I interviewed him and the, the podcast came out just before his fight and he won it, which was fantastic. And then I've had all kinds of other people from Kieran Richardson, Anton Ferdinand. And the question I always ask them is, when you kind of knew that you had something there whether it was talent whether it was a an urge to become this athlete you're obviously in school and i know fully what, what with me when i when i was at school i was terrible yeah. um, but i always wanted to go into business for myself i never knew it as a an entrepreneur i yeah. just wanted to make money and, yeah. and go into something yeah. so it's not that i wasn't i was purposely not trying to focus at school but naturally i was thinking about a bigger picture yeah. as an athlete because i've asked it to yeah. to all the athletes did school get sacrificed slightly? or yeah, for sure. Was there like a paradox yeah, massively. For,
1: for me, obviously, um, primary school, no. Um, but then secondary school after the first, oh, I'd say probably the last year and a half, two years of secondary school, I came out at lunchtime and I, I had an agreement with the school, basically. I was like, look, I'm one of the top juniors in the country. Uh, we spoke to the headmistress and she sort of, Luckily was on board. She liked tennis and sort of wanted to give me that special permission to come out, at finish at sort of one o'clock and not have the afternoon lessons. And it was something, again, my parents had to um, be happy with and they wanted me to go down that route as well. Um, And then I'd leave and go and practice tennis for sort of three hours in the afternoon. So yeah, definitely it was. And then I left school when I was 16. I never went on and did university. I went and lived in (coughs) Spain when I was 16 um, and I lived over there for four and a half years. So pursuing my career and, and living in a tennis academy there. So definitely my focus was on sport and uh and, and I think it has to be at, at some point. I think you can still study at the same time, but you you need to focus on something, especially at that young age, because if not you you do get left behind quickly.
0: Yeah. So um I'm always in like as you well know, I, I do boxing. Yeah. Um, not a pro, but I've had a few yeah. fights. I'm planning to have a few more fights in the next coming years, yeah. subject to the corona yeah, again. Yeah. Um I'm 35 next month, so there's only going to be a certain amount of time before I'm yeah, going to have to sort of hang up the gloves. I know what boxers go through in order to get strong, powerful, um, to improve their technique, etc. Yeah. And I'm always intrigued to see if other sports overlap with what boxers do. I think tennis and boxing actually are
1: the most similar together sports. You know, it's that uh, conditioning. <laughs> um, you have to be look at tennis now; it's so physical you know back 10 15 20 years ago or well not 10 years ago but 15 20 years ago it was a lot slower a lot more technical a lot of guys used to serve volley now you can't do that everything's physical guys are sliding around you see people like Djokovic doing the splits on the court yeah. getting into the corners you have to be strong and this is hours and hours of work in the gym and um and on the court as well so you're sort of overlapping the two but for sure and um I watch a lot and I know a few boxers and sort of the similarities in training and the dedication and the hours you put in I think those two really overlap
0: because I I remember when Andy Murray won uh, Wimbledon Mm -hmm. uh, which was like monumental for for, for him and also for the country I mean everyone was was buzzing it was almost like we won the World Cup and I think I watched a documentary or some kind of clip on TV or even on YouTube I can't remember now where he had like a band around him and he was trying to return the ball and then the bungee stuff that's it and I thought I never realized that that kind of training was implemented in in tennis. And like you said, things have advanced. I was even talking to my dad, who's a big rugby fan. And I remember looking at at the guys, let's say 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and they were lumps, but I wouldn't say they were chiseled. They weren't really athletes. They they were were just big, big strong men. And maybe they could run a bit, but they weren't athletes that could sprint up like a bolt, but then also be like a a weightlifter. Um, and tennis has obviously evolved into that as well so I mean what what kind of what kind of things in the gym or what kind of unique scientific stuff have they implemented in the last few years since you've been a pro it's been through different stages
1: if you look at like Andy as an example he, he bulked up quite a lot he was skinny like myself uh, he bulked up for a few years um, I think now he's he's still big I saw him today he's still pretty big but he's um, he definitely you look at Djokovic, those guys, they're a lot more sort of slim. You know, you need to be fast. You need to be agile. You can't carry too much weight. You could be out there for three, four, five hours at a time playing a Grand Slam mm-hmm. and you need to recover quickly. If you're heavy and bulky, you just can't get around the court. Guys are hitting the ball too big at the moment. Um, I think when in the gym, it's obviously a lot of weights. It's a lot of the s- squats, lunges, all your f- usual stuff. Um, it's not beach weights. It's not bicep curls you know it's specific to tennis to your sport a lot of injury prevention stuff your shoulders because as i say you're you're doing the work in the gym but you're also then having to play tennis two three hours a day as well on top of that and and your arms just taking a, a pounding the whole time so you've really got to try and of avoid those injuries that are going to crop up and everyone's had their different troubles i've had my knee surgery um i broke a wrist um I, i've had loads of problems i had glandular fever at one point right so i've had everyone's had their their, their problems over their career obviously some more than others um and you're going to get set, setbacks no matter how good your sports science is no matter how good your fitness trainer is you know think things happen in sport um so yeah, it's, as I say, it's not it's a contact sport and, it, and a lot of it's in your control, but there are other things, you know, with hours and hours on end of, of serving, of, of working on different techniques,
0: it can have an effect on your body and, and to a lot of people it does in the end. I um, interviewed on Saturday, and it comes out this Wednesday. A guy called Bryant Jennings, heavyweight. He fought um, Klitschko. Okay, you might be familiar with him because he was part of the Game Changers documentary. Okay, he's plant-based yep. guy from Philadelphia, mm. black guy, yep. massive. Yep. And uh, I was talking to him about why he turned into a fully fledged raw plant-based vegan uh, because they always say that you need loads of protein, yeah, you, you need the steaks, etc. Yep. And he said part of the reason why he done it. Is um, it's not necessarily more energy, mm. but it's he believes that the plant based diet preserves your career. Mm. That's part of the reason why he done it. Yeah. So you, you touched on about recovery and preservation, basically, and I know that comes down to resting, uh, sports uh, therapy, yeah, massage, ice baths, whatever,
1: ice you, whatever, baths. whatever you like, whatever you. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of it is to do with the individual. Yeah. Um, Again, I'm someone who prefers massage over ice bath. I've never felt, I, I feel like after an ice bath for the next five, 10 minutes, <coughs> I feel great. But then go back home and it's, I, I wouldn't have known I've had one. I yeah. don't feel like I. it's a big impact on me. You know, whereas massage for me, it lasts longer. Other people are different. Maybe it's a lot in your head as well. You know, I just yeah. maybe some people like that hands on, other people don't. I think a lot is to do with that. Obviously your nutrition, your fuel, how you eat. Um, but again, it's what's, uh, what you're able to get a hold of. You yeah. know, if you're traveling 30 weeks a year on, on tour and it depends what level you are, what sort of budget, what hotels you're staying in, the top, top guys can, can get a chef. You know, it's, it's easy when you, when you've got a chef and you can prepare your menu and, you know, or you're mm-hmm. staying in five star hotels and you can, You can eat any restaurant you want um, and you can have the pick of it and you can be more controlled. If you're just eating in an airport, grabbing a sandwich because you've got a flight in 10 minutes, you know, and you're on the go, you're obviously not fueling up great and your recovery might be different, jet lag. There's so many different things that come into it rather than just, you know, as I say, if you're at home and doing a training block, it's a lot easier to control and you can be a lot more strict. Mm. Um, But yeah, when you're traveling, I think that's where tennis is tough because a lot of sports... Like fight, you know the date, you know the time. Football, you know what time kickoff is, you know what time it's going to finish. Tennis, there's no time. Yeah, You could play for an hour and a half or you could play for five hours. Yeah, So you have to be ready for the whole thing. What do you prepare? What do you eat? How much do you eat at the beginning? You've got to have food throughout the match. Do you need to go to the bathroom? Exactly, bathroom breaks. You need to structure those because you're only allowed two in a five-set match. So you play for five hours, but you're drinking loads and you're in Australia, it's 40 degrees. You know what? Do you do? You can't go yeah. early in the first set because then you're holding it for the next three, four hours, and that must play in your mind. It as does. Well. There's there's so many things that come into it, you know, and and that's where tennis is is very difficult, and it's that individual sport. All eyes are on you. The pressure's on you, and you're in control of your your sort of outcome, your you, yeah. you know, your
0: body, and and how you look after yourself. I uh, I had it only a couple of podcasts ago. I was interviewing someone and I was dying for a piss. And I was, and I was thinking the whole entire time, I'm really enjoying this conversation, yeah. but I need to finish it because because yeah. I'm I'm absolutely in pain. <laughs> and I can only imagine, that was me sitting here. Yeah, yeah. But imagine me on the court, sun beating down on me, got all these people looking yeah, at you. Yeah, you There's do? obviously prize money yeah. at stake and yeah. this could actually put your rankings up or down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's big yeah, pressure, sure. yeah. big pressure. No, it's massive.
1: And as I say, there it does come in... After a while, you get the hang of it and you know what you're doing. You yeah. know, you know when to and how much to drink. And if you feel like you need to go, maybe you, t- you don't drink so much on one changeover. But there's everything now. There's these gels, there's what that to Slow eat. release, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you don't sort of over Over-case, overhydrate yeah. as well. Um, but I think that comes with experience as well when you're young. Everyone mm. makes mistakes, everyone cramps, everyone maybe throws up, everyone, do you know what I mean? It's it's a learning experience and everyone's body's different. Some people cope with it. Some people like to plough on and don't sort of eat or drink too much and just sort of all heart and, and mentality. Others are, no, I need to have this at this specific time because I know this is going to work for me.
0: So I think, again, it was very individual. Um, on the nutritional side of things, yep. um, I've... Adapted, tweaked my my uh, nutrition over the years, and I mm-hmm. think that f- come through education. It wasn't necessarily about taste for me; it was about educating myself, and then it kind of shapes my taste buds. Yeah. I'm pescatarian. I've been pescatarian almost for two years now, okay. and I typically, usually, not all the time, but usually only eat fish on the weekend, so maybe twi- twice a week. Okay, and anyway. Uh, Ruben Tabaris and Ilse's wife, yes. who are part of Mimbosa, and yep. I like, know you know yep. Ruben, yep. Um, part of the reason why I have cold-pressed juices, because I n- and never even heard, heard of it yep. until he told me, he educated me about it and about, you know, almost intermittent fasting on, on, on the cold-pressed juices. For me, that was almost a life and, and food hack. And since I've been doing that, I feel great. Yep. And, and I think it's also mental because yep. now I know I'm, I'm consuming the right stuff in the morning and it yep. just makes me feel good about myself. Any food hacks you got from from an athlete's point of view? Anything that you think has changed the way you feel or even give you more energy? I think I think recovery stuff, you
1: know. Again, <clears throat> I've had this conversation with many other players and how many times you finish and you have to have a shake, protein shake or get something in. And all of it. you know, I speak to a lot of people and they say, "Well, I don't feel any different." It's like a placebo. You know, exactly. I I know I'm doing the right thing and obviously my body needs it. I've just played for however long it's the right thing to do, fuel up, because maybe you're not hungry after you just finish working out and, and you down a shake, it's a lot easier. But I don't notice that that makes me feel any better. I don't notice that that makes me feel less tired the next day, less sore, recover better. But maybe it does. You know, it's, it's very different. Um, and I think it depends on how strenuous your matches were or your training is as to how much you sort of bulk up and how much you look into that. If you had a real tough week or you're doing a pre-season... Uh, or you're playing a five set match I think you really need to sort of look into that recovery the re- like the ice bath the massage the food wh- whatever works for you the sleep um, the rest How what? as I say whatever works but when it's just a lighter training session um, or your match is quick or you play for an hour hour and a half that's your, and you've got to play again the next day I think a lot of it comes down to sort of time management you know you can't be too obsessed you've got to Got to be happy as well. You can't be too obsessed with. Oh, I need to do this. I didn't have this at the right time. I didn't take that. I didn't eat that supplement. Take the thing. It. It's. You know. It can play on your mind, and suddenly it affects your tennis because you're thinking, oh, I didn't have the vitamins this morning. You know, like it's yeah. ridiculous. Ultimately, it's not going to change your forehand or your backhand. Yeah. But it's in your mind. So, um, for me, I've never really been that into it. Um, but as I say, at different stages in my career, and depending on where I've been, maybe at Davis Cups and things like that, when You've got a bigger team around you and things are sort of on tap you know you can you've got guys making shakes for you straight after practice you don't have to go get all the ingredients go to blender do this wash up then think about having a shower then i need to book in a massage <coughs> then i need to go back to the hotel like there's so much going on if those things are taken care of it makes life a lot easier so again it depends what sort of level you're at as to how strict you can be on those things
0: yeah yeah, in my opinion. So you mentioned Davis Cup, yeah, uh, 2015 yep. winner. Yep. Um, I think it's nice progression to talk about your career then. So, um, would you say that is the highlight or one of the highlights yeah, of for your sure. career? Uh, definitely, I. Um, and just for the viewers who don't actually know what that means, Davis yep. Cup
1: and what that was all about. Yeah, Davis Cup's the World Cup of, of tennis, basically. So we um, you play against all nations. We're in the top group in the world group. Albums. No, singles. Singles. singles and doubles. So five rubbers. You play two matches on the Saturday. Oh, sorry, on the Friday. One match on the Saturday and then two on the Sunday. So you've got to win three points out of five. Okay. And you win the tie and you move on to the next one. And usually there's three or four ties. You've got, if you win it, it's four ties in the year. Yeah. Um, and can you play singles and doubles? You can do, yeah. Andy played singles and doubles a lot. A lot of times we've actually got a lot of good doubles players in in Great Britain. So we've always had... Pretty good options when it comes to doubles. Um, and again, you're playing best of five sets, so you don't really want to be playing singles and doubles because you're killing yourself. It's yeah. over a weekend. If you play a long match on Friday, <laughs> you want to have Saturday off to recover to go again on Sunday. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we we worked towards sort of that goal of trying to win the, the Davis Cup is the first time in eighty three years, I think that wow. Great Britain had won it. Um we got close the two years before um but we had a great group and everyone was working towards the same goal uh we all got on great good friends whether it's players coaches trainers physios nutritionists everyone um and everyone was pulling pulling together and it just shows what can happen when you have a great team spirit and and everyone's fighting for each other and and that's what we did and again it it helps again having great player like andy in your team who can yeah put, put a lot of points on the board for you but it's everyone needs to pull their weight, and um, and I did in that year as well, and 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 as did Jamie as well in the doubles. And you know, we we come away with the title, which was uh by far the best achievement in my career because playing for your country for me is the the ultimate honour. And I played six years Davis Cup, um,
0: and to come away with, a, with the trophies, uh, it's unbelievable. Do you know, like, um, <clears throat> I think the first challenge and I think this goes across any sport and also in business, is almost like, not not to make it, but to to make enough noise that you become noticed. Mm. So like you're, you're, you're on the progression on that path of becoming a successful person. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it's maintaining it and then it's stepping up the levels. Yep. But then when you hit moments like that, I always say to like even salespeople, they would obviously, we're getting get a new office upstairs. And the big sort of challenge I find with like dealing with salespeople is, They're pushing for, like, becoming successful and trying to earn money and, Mm. you know, become the best version of themselves. But the moment they get to a level and they actually make some money, the biggest challenge is not allowing it to almost go to their head and also make them feel like they're invincible. So, like, a challenge... There must have been a challenge as soon as you won something, it almost like, how can I use this success now to go on or not allow me to become complacent? What what, what was that kind of like?
1: Difficult. Um, 2015. So that was probably my best year. Um, I was in the top 100. um, We won Davis Cup. There was a lot of great things happening. And then at the end of that year, actually, my coach, who I was with for three and a half years, he was like a second father to me. You know, you travel, you spend more time with your coach than you do with your missus or with your family and you got to get on well. There's more time off the court than there is on. Um, and he sadly passed away with cancer that was a s- sudden uh, thing we found out after US Open. Um, and sort of 14 weeks later he died. So it was a big shock to me. Like it was losing your best friend and your mentor and someone you trust. And we were just on a great run um so that was a big setback for me for the next year uh felt a little bit lost sort of competing wise and um and then I had a lot of setbacks injury wise with my knee which was a shame just as I'd sort of done well I I was playing through a lot of pain during that 14 15 time and then sort of from 16 um yeah it just got too much where I felt I couldn't compete at the level that I wanted to be at because guys were just too good Your, your weaknesses become exposed and I couldn't put any pressure in my right knee, bending in to hit my forehand or turn and recover. And it's just small things that maybe don't sound a lot, but at that level, matches are so close, it comes down to a few points. And if you feel like you're always sort of just behind, it's no fun. So um, I tried to rehab, uh, come back and play. It didn't really work. Um, And then I, in the end, I thought, you know, I've got to go for surgery and, and open up and see what's inside because I saw so many different specialists, scans. No one really knew what it was. Um, and then, yeah, we I went to Sweden, um, great surgeon there, and, yeah, opened up the knee, looked at it, didn't show what was on the actual scans. So just interesting. Sometimes you, you have to go in if, you, if you're out of luck. You've you sometimes got to go in and have a look at, and see what it is um luckily sort of repaired a little bit in there and cleaned out the tissue and got rid of all the the rest of the blood vessels and all the other rubbish that was around the back of the knee um and putting pressure on on the patella tendon and then uh you know have to then go through rehab again and mentally that's so difficult because I feel like I've just done eight months of rehab tried to play then I've had to have a surgery do another nine months of rehab so I've lost two years straight away just after having my best year of my career so in tennis it's difficult because you have you lose your ranking you can't just start up again where you were you have to start again back at the beginning back like when you were younger playing smaller tournaments playing futures then getting onto challenges then trying to get work your way up to atp but that's not a quick fix unless you're one of these freaks who just breaks through and wins everything five six weeks in a row and suddenly he's at the next level yeah it's not easy to do there's only a few of those come around in any generation so um, it's a grind and again mentally I think that's a big change that you have to get get ready for and, and know it's not going to be easy um, and yeah I've tried to do that I've had some setbacks along the way um, last couple of years I felt like I was playing well um, decent level especially at the beginning of this year and then obviously Corona hit in uh, in February, end of Feb March um, and I literally haven't played a tournament since it's been difficult because they've been able to put the calendar back on but only for sort of the top tournaments the atp tour level Uh, a lot of the other guys haven't been able to compete as much um so definitely someone in my bracket hasn't been able to get into tournaments whether i want to play them or not yeah of course i would want to because at the moment i'm just training every day and not really knowing what i'm working towards so it's again it's a tough moment in my career to decide you know keep that motivation up every day going to work going to train going to the gym doing the recovery right because It's exactly what we just spoke about. You know, I could get home and go, you know, I'm going to have a five guys because what difference? I'm not playing for another two months. You know, it doesn't change anything, which it realistically doesn't. But you want to try and stay on it because if not, what was the point in going to practice today? What was the point in waking up early, trekking over to the other side of London to train? Do you know what I mean? So it's trying to stay focused the best you can. Of course, you're going to have ups and downs in motivation and dips, but hopefully I can make another push for it next year if the calendar. If there's a few more options and and thing and life gets back to normal and i think that's it's the same for sort of everyone i think at the moment it's trying to maintain and tread water a little bit wherever you are in the world and whatever business you're in an industry and um and try and crack on again next year hopefully if if things settle down
0: yeah i I like what you said about um like the five guys scenario because i I, like listen i I mess up every so often i I will have the drink when i shouldn't have had a drink i'll eat some junk food when i shouldn't have had it and i'm only human at the end of the day but I do think to myself every so often, I'm not necessarily r- r- like religious or I believe in like yeah. spirits and stuff, but I do believe in the the law of attraction. Yeah. And I believe that something is always looking down, mm. whether it's a, a whatever. And yeah. I think to myself, if I've done something wrong and I know it's wrong, mm. just having a drink when I'm yeah. not meant to have a drink, yeah. then... Something will be brought into my space to cause problems, but if I'm putting the work in, like I'm doing two training sessions a day, or I'm eating very, very clean, or I'm recovering at a certain point, I'm doing a sports therapy. Good things come into my space. Good things, yeah. And it it just attracts good things. And how how much of a believer are you of that? Yeah, like good energy. Yeah, definitely.
1: And I say, look, it's when you've had tough injuries and tough spells out of the sport, you start to doubt those things because you're like, look, I've just done (coughs) eight months rehab with a physio and you know, your own expense and you're trying to give it a good go and stick to a regimented program and working countless hours every day, trying to get your legs stronger again after a surgery. There's no guarantees of anything after that. I I get what you're saying. You're giving yourself the best possible chance to be able to bounce back and get back to maybe the level that you were and hopefully even better. (coughs) Um, But yeah, for sure. You know, it's like anything in life. You do the right things enough.
0: You, you, You hope that. Those things are going to come back, and um,
1: it's uh, it's a good circle.
0: What, what's it like as well? So obviously, w- winning winning uh, that tournament, yep. um, and obviously playing at uh, French Open, yep. played at the US Open, yep. Wimbledon, and a Aussie, Australian yep. Open, and a bunch of others. Yep. Obviously, you start to become known not just nationally but mm. internationally. Mm. What's that feeling like? Because you obviously come from, let's say, a typical normal yeah. background, yeah. but then now suddenly you become this profile. What's it like when you walk somewhere and someone comes over to and goes, oh, you're James Ward, the tennis player, yeah. and they start quizzing you stuff. What is that like? Um, I think, look, I haven't had it at the extremes of a lot of people
1: um, who, who get real ultra-famous and, and achieve unbelievable things in the sport. But yeah. at certain points, you know, especially over here, we don't have that many tennis players, so... Um, Depends where you are and depends what time of year. If it's around Queens, Wimbledon, around that time of year and you've got your tennis bag on you, people are more likely to yeah. notice you and, and know who you are. Sometimes you go to a restaurant, you go to different places, people will know you, but um, I haven't had it, thank God, to, to the lengths that sort of Andy's has it where wherever yeah. he goes, he gets hassled, pictures, and and I know that sounds terrible, like it's a hassle, but it's, it's he doesn't mind doing it and as do a lot of people that I know in that sort of circle that when people are respectful you know it's um you you don't mind and you're happy to give your time up yeah. it's just when everyone it sort of expects just because you are who you are that you should give up your time and if you're eating dinner with your family at a restaurant people come up to you it's it's just it's not comfortable it's not yeah. fun you know you got to respect people's privacy as well because if not they end up not being able to do those
0: things um well, well one of the things one of the things I I was um sort of uh going towards is I've again I've had a few footballers on mm. and I would I always in my mind categorize golf yeah. maybe formula 1 mm. and tennis as almost a gentleman sport yes very gentleman yeah. like a, a lot of people are very very respectful but when you've got boxing and i would say more so uh, football, football yeah. there's like you know there is a hooligan sometimes oh, yeah, men- yeah, mentality sure. and unfortunately There's very good people, very good fans, but there's also very bad fans. And those those bad fans are not afraid to tell you as a sports person how they feel about you. I mean, Gary O'Neill, who was on my podcast recently, who's now Liverpool, uh, I think, a youth uh, manager. He he even had it recently up on the train where someone wanted to express their views about him. Um, I mean... In in tennis, you don't really get no, that so much. No, that's the thing. You don't get it because
1: yeah. of l- people who go to watch tennis. Uh, uh, different fans to what go and scream and you and just shout mix, at they, football. they
0: mix as well. The fans and it doesn't really. Yeah, of matter. course,
1: no one really sort of you. You don't follow a player like you follow a football team. Yeah. It's not that strong of allegiance. You obviously, whatever country you go to, they generally choose the home player. But there's also, depending on the tournament. 30 to 100 other guys of different nationalities. So it's not just after one player. Everyone obviously loves Federer and Nadal. If you're playing against those guys, you're in trouble because every crowd around the world usually loves goes for them. Yeah, But against anyone else, <laughs> you're, you're pretty much even, you know, and people are very respectful. They clap for both sides and they sort of appreciate the game. Whereas in football, and I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. When I go and watch football, you know, screaming and shouting. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely different for sure. Who's your sport? Arsenal. There you are? Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, cool. Um, and obviously being in that gentleman's yeah. kind of uh, sportsmanship kind yeah. of environment, that yeah. culture, I mean, there must've been great opportunities outside of tennis that have come, come into your circle. Of course you meet amazing people that if I wouldn't have gone into tennis, I would never have
1: met again for opportunities after tennis for sure. Um, there, there's avenues and there's doors that, that will be open. Um, as I say, at the moment, I'm obviously trying to carry on and push um, whilst keeping a good relationship with a lot of people. And, and, and I think you network a lot better. You just get to meet that sort of um, different, different clientele when you're traveling around the world playing tennis. to what you would do if you was involved in football, you know, again, it's an individual sport where you've got to look after yourself and promote yourself. Whereas in, 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 in a team sport, you know, everything's taken care of and you just turn up and play and, you're sort of shielded by a lot of things, managers, teammates, um, people organizing stuff or in tennis, it's you or on your own or you and your coach
0: or, you know, you, you have to sort of look out,
1: look after yourself.
0: Yeah. We're, we're v- very similar age. Mm. Um, we've both had the pleasure and fortunate of experienced life as it is now, which yeah. is in the social media era, mm-hmm. the digital era, yeah. but we're also, um, you know, we're, we're also out of an age where we've experienced life without it, mm. and there's pros and cons to it. Of course. As you just touched on, um, I, f- I feel athletes today, and even business people, but more so athletes, it's not just about becoming great at your craft, and obviously yeah. the nutrition, strength, condition makes yeah. your image. Yeah. So, with the lights of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all that kind of stuff, how important is it to portray yourself in the right light? I think it is.
1: Um, again, some people make a bigger career out of that in the end than they do of their own sort of uh, sport, you know, or, or what they're good at. They end, they start out being uh, a pro footballer or or tennis player or whatever you want to go route you want to go down, and they end up having a bigger following because they're good looking or they've got in with the right sponsor and suddenly the pub is in the public eye they go on a tv program so a lot of the time it's um yeah as you say look we've experienced both sides both sides of it i think i prefer beforehand because now you see a lot of people on instagram we all follow them we all look at them and you see them but people who now are called a celebrity it's not a celebrity then they've never done anything they've never yeah. achieved anything <clears throat> to to gain that sort of status of what you were grow, brought up to yeah think is a that sort of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, You know, now you go on a, on a TV program and take your clothes off and suddenly you're a celebrity and you get a million followers and you get people chucking endorsements, protein powders, drinks, whatever. And that has a lot of influence now on a lot of young kids. And I think that's a little bit of a dangerous route because people are aspiring to be and be like these influencers on Instagram, especially um and it's it's just a dangerous it's a dangerous road they're going down because the mental health side of it mental health side massively look a lot of kids are basing their appearance basing their their thoughts their achievements on what is actually a fake life on instagram as i say a lot of these people haven't done half of the things maybe they claim to or they don't even look the same as as they do in real life as as you look on the on on insta but Mm. it's you know, there's a lot of editing apps I've seen recently that make so people many. look unbelievable when when you see them in real life, you're like, hang on a minute. Catfishes. Oh, big time. <laughs> Plenty of those about. But um yeah, I think it's it's just the world we live in and you a best image you can, you, you've got to try and portray that as you say, for your income, your sponsorship. Um, it definitely helps go alongside that. But another thing is I've had a lot of abuse on there, you know, on Facebook. I, I can ask you this. I came off Facebook five years ago. What and, kind of things are they saying? Oh, it's, it's basically all from people who are <laughs> betting <laughs> in tennis. Um, a lot of Eastern Europeans who will send you abusive messages really? uh, after you've lost the match, basically saying you fixed the match, you didn't want to play, and because they've lost money on you because you were a great bet. Maybe playing someone who you like. Look, mate, I've just lost literally by two points. I'm I'm trying my arse off, but know i just come unstuck the last thing you want to do is open your phone and see some abuse from 10 different people and they're all fake accounts they got no followers and (coughs) you know what i mean because they want to they don't want to be found by the authorities so there's if you you're obviously supposed to uh, report a lot of these cases which a lot of players do um but now i just sort of found that facebook there's no point in it anymore I, i came off that a few years ago yeah um and it, it still happens now, you know, a lot of players, we will talk about it and ask, oh, so you got one from that same person as well. You know, there is the same culprits, um, but it, it's like any, any industry, you can now message anyone and send a message, whether they open it and whether they look at it, it's a different story Yeah. or whether they're the actual one or their management team. Again, depends who, who, who you're messaging and how big they are, but yeah, um, it is a dangerous world because, you know, you you're able to be a bit bit of a keyboard warrior. You know, if someone you met met them in the street, would you say it to their face? Yeah. You know, definitely not. Most people definitely wouldn't, wouldn't, but they get behind a keyboard or a computer or a phone and they say, and they, and they write all sorts of stuff. You know, if you, if you you ever uh, retaliated, no, no, not online because there's no point. I'm what am I getting out with it? If anything, I'm giving them satisfaction that I'm engaging with them. Um,
0: I always just delete and go on or, or, report it as well. So, Yeah. Um, on that note of uh, social media um, thankfully I got to know you obviously through my friend Lewis Burton our mutual friend um, obviously ex-tennis yeah. tennis player um, he's promised me he's going to come into the podcast in its coming week so look out for I'll that look forward
1: to it yeah. um,
0: but like you said with social media when I was younger when we were younger when I used to see a footballer or a, yeah. I don't know a boxer or a tennis player it was almost like oh my god that's yeah. like, it's almost like yeah, you, it was, you you seen, yeah, you you've seen the Pope frozen, for the first yeah, time exactly, it's yeah. like starstruck yeah, yeah. But now with social media, it's almost like, it's not like you know them, but you, you feel like you're in arms, 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 arms reach yeah, of them. Yeah, because there's so much information about them, their lives, their personal lives, what yeah. they do, what they don't do, you what see, they like. you see
1: behind the scenes. You do, yeah. And there's a lot more footage of stuff because, again, people want to look into that and it's great for TV and different documentaries and series and things like that, But um, which I, I'm not against because I think it's good to educate people, um, especially sports stuff. Uh, to see how teams are managed, how players train, see different mentalities. A bit like what we're talking about. If you can inspire and help people, then it's great. But if it's done just to spy and look at, oh, he's wearing this or he's got this or he's he's driving that car, he's just bought this house. It's just that envy, you know, there's no, it's obvious. No goal to it. No, of course. Look, footballers, they earn a lot of money. There's no secret about it. So why do people get upset about it? Yeah. You know it's it's going to happen. If he wants to buy a house or a new car, he, he he's going to go and do it. Yeah. No matter how much abuse you send him, it's not going to change much. Yeah. So I think it's uh, it's again it's that different mentality now to when we were younger and looking up to
0: seeing a footballer or seeing someone that you were starstruck by. It's it's definitely changed. Yeah. A lot of people get into like things like uh so when again going back to school a lot of the kids when I was in school with them always wanted to be a footballer. Mm. Part of it is passionate about football, travel the world, but then also the the fame and also the money. I mean, for you personally, was like the fame, money, uh, was that a big factor towards playing tennis or was it just because you were passionate about the actual craft? At the beginning, definitely not.
1: And then obviously when you start to see what can be done, that drives you. But I think that's the same in any industry. You know, if you start out working for a company, you want to keep getting promoted you want to keep getting to a higher level where you can earn a bigger salary and uh, and achieve bigger things it's like anything in life you always want to do better um and with that <clears coming> the <throat> rewards and obviously in sport there's a lot of the time there's bigger rewards than than in other industries it's just how it is so mm. i think it drives you but when you're on the court it's amazing how many times you, you play for something whether it's money whether it's an achievement in a tournament um it never crosses your mind. You're just out there battling against that person. You know, maybe it makes you nervous if you know that there's a lot of money on the line and suddenly you're serving for the match and you've got a great chance to win. For sure it can affect you. You And it has done to me, it has done to many people at different times because again, depends where you are in your career. A lot of guys now, if, if you're really high up and you don't need the money, Again, it doesn't change much if you're a bit lower, and you're thinking, you know, what this is going to be able to help me fund the rest of my year or pay for my coach to travel, and you know, there's different pressures that come behind that. But I think you you have to learn to deal with those.
0: Yeah, um, I've done a little bit, of obviously, homework. Estates uh, on the Wikipedia. You've won, uh, won I think, one point five, one point six million pounds mm. in or dollars in prize money. Yeah. Obviously, there's endorsements, all the, yeah, all the yeah, other kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, as far financial education's concerns, because I always have the same conversation, especially with boxers and footballers mm. about this, there is definitely not enough support in the football community. Maybe that's changing now. Mm. When I spoke to Antoine Ferdinand, who's just retired, he yeah. said there definitely wasn't enough financial yeah. education. And because they are known to earn money, they yeah. were targets. Yeah. And then also boxers. Mm. But in tennis, I mean, is there, right, you're gonna, you could potentially win millions and millions and millions, mm. And here is what we suggest you start doing with Not it. really, no. So it's all self-education. Of course, self-education. And having um, the right people around you. Exactly. It's
1: who you're surrounded with. And you know, how important is that? Massively. Yeah. That's, that's the main thing. Um, obviously, now governing bodies like the ATP, they give courses or they'll give information about where how you should invest or look after your money and do different things. But... Um, Again, you never know who's driving that, you know, who's behind, who's the company that wants you to go with them because they're giving you the advice. A lot of the time um, you sort of go with your family and friends and some people that's great. Other people, it gets them in trouble. Yeah. Um. But I think you sort of have to try and personally look into it and do a little bit of research and try and become educated on the, on the matter. If, especially if you start earning a decent amount of money. Yeah. Because you know, it's a short career and it's not going to last forever and, Especially guys in football is the best example of earning a lot of money at a young age. You know, you really need to think about who knows, if you get an injury, something that changed quickly, and you need to try and be set up and do things properly.
0: Yeah. Apart from uh, thinking about building a massive Richard Hamilton portfolio. Yeah, us, exactly. I, I, I'm joking, but who knows? Yeah. Um yeah, what what kind of things I mean, like do you invest into businesses? Do you have like obviously I don't want to go into your personal yep. circumstances, but like properties and that kind of stuff. What What are you, basically what I'm trying to get at is what are you going to do? What are you thinking about beyond tennis? Yeah, I think property is obviously the main
1: thing when you want to move out your parents' house and you want to, you've got enough money to put a deposit down for somewhere. That's what you work towards. Um, and property is the main thing at the, at the start of the journey. I think after yep. that, once you, a little bit more settled in your home life, then you can start to branch out and try a few different things, whether it's startups, whether it's art, whether, you know, there's, there's many different avenues you can go down, uh, investment stocks. Um, but I think going forward, as I say, for me, it's trying to get back on to the level that I was three, four, five years ago. Um, so how long would you say you got left in your career then? Who knows? As again, with having not played for a while you know I still feel pretty fresh I don't feel old and weathered and tired um but I'd probably say another two three years and then you know then you look to to the next step again a lot can change in that next couple of years where I'm going who I meet different avenues there's there's a lot of possibilities especially as we said with the people you meet through tennis um I'd like to stay in tennis of some capacity. I'm probably not going to be standing on court coaching for hours. I think I've done enough hours on court myself. Pundit, um, maybe? Possibly. I could go down that route. i um, not sure it interests me right now. Um, but some something maybe in events, in management. Um, an academy? Again, yeah, an academy. Uh, <laughs> mentoring some younger guys, sort of giving the experience. Um trying to lead them down the right path instead of the wrong one,
0: which you can see happens a lot. Um, so yeah, something like that. Um, obviously we spoke about you winning the Davis Cup and that was a, a high. Is there, it is there like a low period in your life? Uh, yeah, obviously it was, it, was
1: it would be when my coach passed away. For me, that was tough. Um, and then being hit with the injury straight after that and not knowing if I'd be able to play tennis again, it was kind of a point where I had to decide I can carry on at this level, but it's probably not going to be enough. And, uh, and I don't want to keep playing at this, uh, at this level. So I've got to make a change. I've got to go for it. It was a big risk to go for the surgery. It paid off. And now I look back, I go, oh, I wish I would have done it a few years earlier because I had knee pain for, for many years. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'd probably say the straight, R end of 2015 and then all of 16 was, was, was my toughest time because of
0: personal circumstances as well as, as, as professional. I know uh, when you go through tough times, we all go through tough mm. times, but what, like it's, you see some people that hit these tough times and they can turn to drink drugs and, in, and yeah. major depression. Mm. How, I'm not saying you're an expert at because I don't think anyone can, can yeah. be, but yeah. what's the kind of, how can you prevent yourself going, going, like falling into that hole? It's difficult. I think,
1: again, it depends who you got around you. I think a lot comes down to your your home life, your family, your, your mum and dad, your upbringing. Um, and, you know, I've never uh, I've never been into drugs, never even thought about it, never even tried a cigarette, um, yeah, drink occasionally. But, again, it's not a big thing for me. So um, everyone's different, you know, and it all depends what you were brought up to to do and what was acceptable and what's not. Morals and stuff, exactly. yeah. So I think a lot of it comes down to that. Um, but then also you also know if you've reached a certain level <clears throat> what you have to do to get back to that point. Yeah. So, are you going to put yourself further down the line or are you going to try and claw your way back? And it's it's that choice and it's how much you want to do it really.
0: And it must be about the vision for your future. I mean, I'm, I'm a massive advocate on setting goals. Yeah. I know the word goals has almost been thrown around over, yeah, yeah, over everyone, social media a lot and, does it, and, it, yeah. and, and, it, and it loses its power a bit. But when you really tune into your goal and you've got that absolute purpose, like yeah. you get up in the morning, I yeah. get up at one minute past five and I'm, down the gym and then you know I'm I am I just and it's not because I necessarily want to train it's just because I'm a bit passionate for the day Mm. I've got to achieve something Mm. the goals that you set like how important is it to set goals and really stick by them and live by them I think so especially in sport um
1: a lot of it is obviously performance based um rather than sort of your own self because I think everything revolves around your career and you're so into the career that you don't start thinking sort of outside of tennis those are just extras and depending how well you do in your tennis gives you more opportunities to invest or have more time off go on better holidays go you know buy a bigger house get a better car etc so um i think you set them and you try and stick to them and be regimented but i think any professional sportsman is kind of regimented anyway without yeah. having to be forced too much because they know that there's plenty of people out there who are going to do it if you don't. So you need to st- stick to a certain sort of regime if you're going to be able to achieve what you want to do.
0: Yeah. Uh, just a couple more things then. So like uh, you've been around the Animaris. Yeah. Obviously, you must have been around the, the Fedras and all yeah. these kind of people. I mean, out of all of them that you've been around, watched or even maybe played against or yeah. even even had some, some friendly matches... Yeah. Who's like the person or the couple of people that you would say has got the best characteristics, the people that have motivated you, inspired you, or just general good person? Who 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 sticks out? Look, obviously Andy's a good friend of mine. I see him a lot,
1: practice with him a lot. Um we'd never played up until f- a few months ago when we played a tournament in the UK that we organized that was on Amazon because there was no other tournaments on, and everyone wanted to play competitively and earn a bit of money, so um, we put a sort of like a, a battle of the Brits together and it was a great event run by Jamie and his brother. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would say him probably because it's closer to home. You know, if I practice with Federer and Nadal, I played against Djokovic at Wimbledon. Um, but yeah, probably he is because he's British, uh, spent more time with him both on and off court. Been through the training regimes, um, done the gym sessions, um, and yeah, he's he's a great guy. A lot of people don't get to see that side of him. Um, it's actually quite funny. I heard he is. He
0: is. He's got, he's like, got like like dry sense of humor. Yeah, yeah He's got decent chat. Yeah. yeah,
1: I won't big him up too much. He's got decent <laughs> chat, but um, he's uh, yeah, he's he's got a nice home life as well,
0: and uh, it's it's something that you look at and you it drives you as well. And all them, all them top people. I mean, there's great players, and there's like absolutely phenomenal players. Mm. What would you say are a few characteristics that separate those those players? I think they're driven beyond anyone else. I think
1: they, even Andy, the sacrifices these people make. The obviously their their talent and their their level um, is, is better than anyone else. But I think they they do. They work harder. They're more dedicated. They're willing to take more risks than other people um when you look at Andy Rafa Federer it's no coincidence that they've been doing it for the last 10-15 years at the top and no one's got close to them you know they are special and it's it's the same where people go oh well, why aren't you as good as them it's like well why is football as not good as Messi and Ronaldo you know there's always a few people in each sport in that come across in your lifetime that are just special and just just way above everyone else and it just comes at a time that we're alive that we're at the same the best four sort of tennis players you know well definitely two three tennis players of, of all time for sure um but yeah you put Andy in that category as well for until he got injured he was mixing it with those boys and won slams Olympic golds it's just a ridiculous achievement and I just think that that level of dedication and drive is is bigger and better than everyone else maybe again then in on the other side of it they don't experience some things that the normal people in life experience you can't go out to a restaurant have normal time you can't go on family holidays you don't do those things so you miss out on a lot of things um but obviously sporting wise the rewards are, are great for it
0: yeah perfect um so where can people find you if they want to follow you Follow me at James Ward Tennis on both Twitter and on Instagram, yeah. Cool. Uh, any other points, like any anything coming up exciting for you or anything to look out for? Or? At the moment it's tough because of the corona situation and uh, in Australia,
1: not sure if it's going to be on at the moment. Um, so difficult to plan ahead, but working hard and on the court, in the gym, and hopefully from sort of mid-Jan we'll be
0: able to go full on and give it another go. Good stuff. I've got a quote. You might have heard it. It's called Be Happy, Never Content. It's something I try and live by. I've got my own interpretation and view on it. Mm -hmm. If I were to ask you, be happy, never content, what does that actually mean to you? What is your interpretation?
1: Be happy in life. Be happy with what you've achieved, but don't settle. Always keep pushing.
0: Good stuff. Powerful. Thank you for your time, mate. And uh, this is going to come out in a couple of weeks, time. Appreciate it. Top man. Thanks, Steve. Cheers, Man. man. Thanks. Cool.